Welcome to Forever White Belt. I'm your host, Adolfo Ferranda. Today on the show, I have Stephen the Dream Haken. Stephen is a 10th Planet Black Belt under Richie Martinez. In this episode, Stephen walks us through his journey to Black Belt, leaving his small hometown in Georgia, his MMA career from backyard fights to actual cage shows, how he joined the 10th Planet Freaks in San Diego, only to go back to Georgia to start an academy just prior to a pandemic with his wife and new baby. Stephen wears his heart on his sleeve. My heart went to my throat when he shares the moment he was awarded his black belt. The emotions were palpable. Many of us have had similar experiences, and we may have thought they were unique to us alone. So it's a benefit to the community to have someone share so transparently. It makes me want to see Stephen win in whatever endeavor he attempts. It's a great episode for all to hear. Of particular note, if you're a bigger person or have ever thought of opening an academy, this will be a good one for you. Just a reminder, please give us a five-star review on Apple Music and Spotify and share this podcast with a friend. It really helps us out. Please leave us feedback and suggestions on how we can improve the show and consider becoming a patron at anchor.fm forward slash Forever White Belt. Like us on Facebook and TikTok at Forever White Belt and check us out on Instagram at Forever White Belt Show. Go buy your Forever White Belt swag at teespring.com forward slash forever dash white dash belt. Finally, if you ever get to beautiful Northern California, please come roll with us at North Bay Jiu-Jitsu in the city of Nevada. They're amazing instructors and everyone there are really great people. Mention the podcast and get two weeks free. And with that, I give you Stephen the Dream Aiken. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Hey, what's up, man? Glad to be here. I found out about you originally through uh, Brandon McCaffrey, friend of the okay. show. And I additionally saw some of your content on his uh, BMAC material, his Kajabi stuff. So you are a 10th Planet Black Belt under Richie Martinez, correct? The correct. How did that all come about? Richie is way over here in uh, the West Coast, and you're now in Perry, Georgia, if I'm correct. Correct. Man, how it happened is uh, the, I started training in 2008. For the first time, I was 24, almost 25 years old then, and mostly was just like trying to get out of my hometown and and do what I had, could do to, to finally like try to be somebody or whatever. I was just kind of wasting my time and my life where I was at in my hometown. Where was the hometown? Bainbridge, Georgia, Bainbridge, a small Georgia. town. Yes. Yeah, southwest corner of Georgia, pretty much almost Alabama, almost Florida. Really, really small town. Uh, we didn't have any martial arts. Wrestling wasn't even a thing until we were in high school some, and then- it wasn't really a thing like it is now where everybody's right. like technical and trying to actually do it for something. Mostly it was like something for athletes to do in the off season or for the guys, you know, they just kind of wanted to do something else to have something to do. I think at least where we were from, I was really heavy. I was like 385 pounds at, at my max weight. It just took a while, but the job I had allowed me a lot of time to sit on a computer and just do, you know, whatever I wanted. And so I got on Sherdog and yeah. met some people in San Bernardino, California. They were starting a team at a university that was going to be like a, a club team at a, a sports university in San Bernardino. So you met it these did. people online? Yeah. So I met the guy online and just gotcha. kind of they having some tryouts or whatever. And it was a way to maybe get a coaching degree, which is what I was going to hopefully be trying to do. Anyway, I had some credits trying to get like a PE coach thing at, at our local community college, but just never was like committed to it or anything. I always liked to fight. I grew up 
like in a fighting family, so to say. I loved professional wrestling a ton as a kid. Loved boxing a lot. My daddy and I watched that a ton. So, so a lot of like fighting stuff was is in, is in my blood. We had we had gamecocks. We fought we fought game chickens. I didn't realize until much later in life that like my whole existence was pretty much brought up around like a fighting kind of a culture. Yeah. yeah. And so I left and went and did the tryout and was terrible. But the biggest thing the coach said was that the fact that I, I was not quitting on anything and I was literally throwing up. Dude, I was I was terrible. Like I couldn't run a mile. I don't know why I did it. Like, honestly, like it was crazy looking back that I even did it because there's no reason I should have made it. And yeah. then after it was over, I had thrown up and came back a couple of times and was like crawling my way through the finish of stuff. And the guy was just like, man, you're terrible. You're not good at all, you know, and you're, you mm -hmm. know, terrible shape. But if you'll do that, we can do something, you know, we will offer you a spot here if you'll keep that same work effort. And and I was like, okay, you know, I, I think I, I can do that. You know, I obviously didn't know why I thought I could do that all the time, but I was just like, I, I wanted to do something like this my whole life in some way. And like, I was wanted to do professional wrestling, maybe if I could have found a way, but there, literally there was nowhere where I, nobody where I was from had done anything. We didn't know it. Like no, there was no examples of people who had left that we knew that was really doing much. And so I was just like, I'm going to go, you know? So I went back home and told my family and my friends and my job and got rid of the few things I had in my apartment and, and just brought like a few bags of clothes and, a, and an Xbox to San Bernardino and just got thrown into this environment. And it was crazy there. I had some some good coaches in San Bernardino. I was doing jujitsu with Tom Rusing at Gracie Baja. I had a, a really great MMA coach, Franklin Aguirre at uh, Aguirre Fighting Systems. He's like a black belt under Ted Williams, who's a black belt under Gene LaBelle. And so just like an old school fighting coach. And so he, mm -hmm. he worked us really hard and, and helped us be really tough and taught me a lot about how to fight, you know, just like how to be a tough guy fighter and not just be, you know, a piece of crap. So it was really fun and a lot of hard work. But so eventually- from like an MMA 100%. direction, right? Yeah, I was gonna be a puncher. Like I was looking to be like a like a knockout guy. I thought I was gonna come in and just like bam, hit him with this right hand. You know what I'm saying? That's interesting because a lot of guys go from BJJ to MMA. Well, see, there was no jujitsu really where we were from that I knew of. And so anybody that was doing anything and, and they weren't even doing it around, but it was like for MMA. And so just like the UFC was really, really popular at this point. Sure. And I had done some backyard stuff where these guys mm -hmm. had put some like ring ropes up, you know, Kimbo yeah. slice kind of things or whatever oh, yeah. before that was even a thing. So like, it, like I say, it's just something that had always kind of appealed to me. But out there, the thing with the school in 08, our benefactor was a real estate guy, uh, wow. Dr. Huang. And basically the, the market, as we know, for real estate just dumped on 2009. And so he couldn't take care of us and it wasn't really working. So I couch surfed a little bit and tried to like make it like that and, and had to end up coming back to Georgia. Oh, wow. You went back. Yeah. To, to a city called Valdosta, Georgia. That's where my wife was at. She was there at college and they had some MMA people in that town. And I was like, okay, if I move back, I'm not going to go to the city we're from where there's no training. I had gotten my blue belt here. I'd already fought in my third professional fight. I had fought Dan Severn and lost mm. the decision to him. Shot the pilot episode for, have you ever seen the X-Arm stuff, the extreme arm wrestling stuff? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I was on the pilot episode of that where we were helping wow. figure out the rules or whatever. They shot that at our school there in San Bernardino, the first real wow. one. 
So just did all that kind of stuff and then just decided it was better to try to come back and make it over here. Hooked up with some some good guys locally and, and was like the jujitsu coach there because I was the only graded person in the area, really, like with a blue belt, which was hilarious wow. now. And so I was teaching and training and, and working like as a cook. And from there, we moved to Macon, Georgia, and I got hooked up with uh, some guys there at Rush MMA, Bubby Mitchell. American top team affiliate. That's the oldest school pretty much in the area here. They've been the most legit and longest running school in the area by far. So it was really cool to be with those guys. Spent a few years. I had some mixed results in fighting. I think by the time I left there, I was eight and six total with a no contest, you know, throughout the whole thing. And then I hurt my knee. We had a new baby, had to have surgery, all those kind of things like snowballed. And then at this time, my wife got the offer. She's a rock star, dude. Anything she does, she does well if she wants to. And so she crushed her job. And uh, I was basically a stay-at-home dad. She got an offer for a promotion to San Diego. And I was just like, man, that's that's like the mecca of everything right now. When I come back, when I heal up, I'm sure there's somewhere out there that I'll land one of those powerhouse teams I'll find and whichever fits best for me, I'll end up there and I'll fight. And then we'll see like my true potential come out or whatever the case. And so we got there, I was trying to heal up and tried a few different teams and being a stay at home dad was kind of weird to some people, I think, because it was more of a younger guy vibe at a lot of the spots. And some of the coaches didn't like that. I had to bring my baby and different things. And somebody invited me over to 10th Planet to do some MMA sparring one day. And from there, I met Manolo Hernandez, who's the, the MMA coach at 10th Planet San Diego, was uh, San Diego Combat Academy. And he liked me and he was really nice and cool. And they let me bring my son and people were nice to him. And so that was kind of cool. And he, you know, realized that I didn't have it. Like I was just kind of like a Ronin, didn't have mm -hmm. anywhere like a master, so to say. And so he invited me to, to like join their team. And so it was mostly for MMA still. Like I had rolled with Boogie and he was like really, really good, obviously. And I was like, all right, well, this will help my MMA game a ton. If I can get with this 10th Planet stuff, I've not had experience with it. Everybody I've ever seen try it, didn't know what they were doing basically and weren't good because he's he tapped me out like six times in a round. And I was already a brown belt at that point, like professional fighter with like a ton of experience. So that like, it shocked me and gave me some like reason to come back, you know? And like, just because I had to find out what that was. Like I had been in the gi and was just refining. I felt like techniques now at this point, I wasn't really learning new stuff and like growing. I was just mm -hmm. basically polishing everything I had and just like, well, this is what I got. And it's just going to have to get better with what I have instead of mm -hmm. adding more like arsenal. And uh, got with them, tried to fight a lot, got one fight, beat a guy that was five and oh. And so I was like, well, this is going to be the shot for me to get called up to a bigger, like, that was it. I, like everybody, man, I wanted to get called up to the bigger show. I wanted to fight in the mm -hmm. UFC or Bellator, or then at a certain point, I was like, man, I just want to like go to Japan or like somewhere like that. And just like do a fight somewhere where that like, you know, like that. And so beat him, got a fight, trained most of the camp. The dude got injured or something and it fell out, did it again, fell out. We, we had already had our second child at this point, another full camp. This time I'm paying a babysitter to help because there's two kids and it's hard to have two, just on me, even though the people at the gym were trying to help mentally, it was hard for me to be the way I needed to with two babies yeah. up there when I was trying to spar and, and focus on my work. So I was paying a babysitter and it just kind of blew up on me there because I did one more fight and this guy was nine and one like a, a really top prospect out of mexico and the whole event just canceled out of nowhere a week or so before 
Well, in the middle of all this, I had decided to do an ABCC trials on the West Coast. And I felt like I did pretty good. Like I, I won one and lost one, but the guy I lost to was pretty tough. And I gave myself the excuse that I had a fight coming up. And so I didn't really push it as hard as I could have. And you know, those things you try to tell yourself when you don't want to sure. agree that maybe somebody was just better. And he was just probably better at that point for sure, because he was doing jujitsu a lot more and I was still fighting a lot. And so I still hadn't quite realized the difference in that fully. So after that, after the fight fell out, just kind of kicking around and like sad, you know, a lot and uh, wasn't supposed to be at the gym. I was supposed to be doing something else. And I snuck in there when some guys were supposed to be sparring some of my buddies and they had fights coming up and they were warming up. And so there was another guy in there and I was like, all right, I'll, I'll do a little bit of something with you guys since y'all have these fights coming up. And I just kind of partnered up with this new guy and during like a takedown drill, he like blasted me in the face with a knee and uh, like cracked my orbital bone. And so like I had an instant like golf ball size knock on my forehead. And so I had to call, I had to call my wife from work basically and be like, Hey, I need to go to yeah, the hospital. I a hematoma here. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not supposed to even be here, but you know, let me take you away from our, your job. That's paying for everything. And I'm costing us everything with this crap. So that, you know, that led to some tough conversations, some recovery. Mm -hmm. Then talking with Richie a lot, he had a lot more confidence in me than I did at that point, I think about my jujitsu and stuff. And he really encouraged me to maybe step away from MMA and give all that energy to jujitsu because I was working as hard as I possibly could still. And it just wasn't, man, it just wasn't being fruitful for me. You know, and that's why I tell some people now, it's just like, man, despite best effort, sometimes it's just not going to make it there. Mm -hmm. Like for me, I started too late, maybe, and, and it just wasn't there. I did good though. You know, I, I'm not disappointed. Or, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm proud of all that stuff. Of. Yeah. So it's cool. I just, I just never was that guy. Get all your grappling gear and some amazing coffee at coffeekimuras.com. Use code CKFAMILY for 15% off your next order. That's coffeekimuras.com and use code CKFAMILY for 15% off your next order. But then, you know, having the confidence of someone like Richie, like motivated the crap out of me a lot, you know, because because obviously he's who he is. So I just started doing more, more jujitsu serious and, and started competing. And so just really got tight with him from there. Cause at first I was more just like an MMA guy that trained with Richie and we didn't really like jive that well because I was kind of still in my, well, that stuff really doesn't always work. That works for mm -hmm. you because you're so good, but I can't do that. And had to like get with each other some more. And then finally, like we kind of argued it out one day a little bit and then just it clicked at some point along the way, the techniques, mm -hmm. the mentality. I saw what he was doing, I think honestly more. And then he saw what I was doing honestly more. I just really dug in. I wanted to be the best at something, man. I, anything, you know, I wanted to, to just win something, <laughs> something. And so that was the best team in the area. In my opinion, they're the best team around 10 Planet Freaks, San Diego with, with Boogie Geo, PJ Barch was there, Gabe Tuttle was there, Sloan Climber was there, Kyle Chambers was in and around a bunch of times, Kyle Bame. Wow. Just tons and tons of guys that were really, really tough. And just people were just killers. dropping in anywhere, you know, from like Phil Davis and, and stuff like that, and, you know, on just a wow. random night. So I was getting tons of really like high level roles in and felt competent against really, really good people who I didn't think I would have been as good against and not telling stories outside of training because training is training, but you can still tell sometimes when you may have somebody's number. And, mm -hmm. and there were a couple of guys that I ended up, I was like, oh, I, I got you in jujitsu. But if we wanted to fight, they would have probably just kickboxed the crap out of me on the way mm -hmm. to, to something. You know what I mean? Like sure. adding sure. in that element. I started realizing that they would come in and I was like, oh, when we just do jujitsu, I'm better than you. 
But if we added in the stand-up element, that's where the all those other dimensions are going right. to really factor against me a lot more. And taking any challenge, boogie through at me. Basically, if he told me to go do something, I was just going to go try to do it at a certain point. You know, whether it was going to make me win or lose, I started not caring about that stuff as much. Like, of course, I wanted to win, but I just didn't let it make me mad or mm-hmm. depressed as bad. The day I got promoted to my black belt was really crazy. And so... I, for a lot of people, man, they can probably relate to this, but I came in already from like another team and had rank and was not like one of the guys there, mm-hmm. you know? So I had to, I still had to earn my way. I had to work from the back of the room to the front of the room. You know, I never wanted to just be like, Hey, put me at front. Cause I'm like a brown belt or whatever. You know, I wanted to, I wanted him to ask me to be up there beside him. I wanted him to say, Hey, Steven, come up here because I was working hard. And he saw that I was actually like doing it for the team. You know, and like I said, that also took a while. I think was part of it too, because I was so stubborn in my MMA mindset. So, so he had some legitimate stuff, but he was like hard on me, really, really hard on me for like several months. It feels like at this point now, but like to the point that like, I'd leave crying, like thought maybe I don't know anything, you know? And so like the day before promotions and everything is telling me like they were going to promote Liz Carmouche. And I was like, oh, well, that's legit. Liz is really, really good. And they started doing promotions. And like some of the people that were getting promoted, I realized were like the OGs of, you know, our team. And it was still kind of, you know, that weird thing because like I said, those guys and Liz and all had been there for a long time. Kyle Chambers got his black belt. Liz got her black belt. Scott Holler got his black belt. There was like four or five guys that they gave their black belts to. And so I was just sitting there and just like, okay, you know, it's definitely not for me today. Like I'm obviously not a part of this and then not in a bad way either. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't like frustrated by it. I just understood. You understand that at a certain point, like I'm probably next now. I can see why now I don't have it because these people didn't even have it until today. And so then they were like rapping and they're like, all right, guys, everybody, blah, blah, blah. And then Gio started talking again. And I realized that he was talking about me. Hmm. And then Boogie pulled out another black belt. Man, I just started crying like a baby. I couldn't, I didn't even do a speech. Like I didn't even get to do a black belt speech because I was just so emotional and like crying. And I feel it. I feel it right now. Cause like, That was the thing I won, I guess, finally, you know, right. for me, it's like, that was my title. That was the belt that I never like got. I finally like got over with the fans or whatever in a way, you know? And so like I yeah. earned it and I was beside people that I didn't think I deserved to be standing beside that day. So it really made it crazy for me in my mind to be able to be a part of that group. Like I respect it, man. And I appreciate it. I represent that team from here now as, as hard as I can. And we had to move, you know, there's no, no hard feelings or whatever. We just kind of my wife had got a, a job offer back over here. This is the same area we had left from. And it was going to be more money than we were having probably in San Diego, which cost of living change and everything made it more, you know, so it was just like, it was the right thing to try to, to do it. So I taught at a friend at Cole Miller School who's here locally, but I really, I wanted to do more. So I was trying to teach more classes and I don't know, I just, I love it. And so through conversation with Cole, there was no school really in Perry anymore. The guys that were here were kind of moving and closing. So I was like, all right, well, this will be an opportunity to move in there and start a program there because it wouldn't be direct competition with Cole. I mean, it is kind of, but not like direct, direct. And then, or with the guy making my friend Bubby, it wouldn't be competing with him because he's like 30 or 40 minutes away. I'm not afraid to compete, but I don't want to have to compete and start any like beefs with people over here because I moved in, you know, because these are smaller towns, but not like tiny towns. 
you know, we support each other back and forth as far as like that's if people good. are interested in whatever, yeah. you know, and I think that's one of the things I learned the most out there too, is just like being accepting of all the different kinds of people and whatever they can do and can't do or whatever's fine. And, you know, not having to have to be so rigid on all kinds of things or whatever. And so I just wanted to do that over here. That's why I started and sorry if that didn't answer any of your question. No, it totally did. There's so much more unpacked <laughs> there. So many things I wanted to interrupt, but it was just too good. The first thing that, that I noticed was the roller coaster ride. Right. There's all these ups and then there's all these obstacles, you know, starting and stopping, whether it was your fights being canceled and you're training up the miracle of having an incredible wife, children. But at the same time, it distributes your time, you know, so you can't focus 100 percent on something, too. And then all these other, you know, searching for an academy, leaping off the high dive to go to to San Diego, you know, leaving home. Mm. When you go back, I listened to a podcast, I believe it's yours back in April of 2020. You sound so optimistic because you're like, I'm friends with Cole, but I'm moving on to my thing. I I know I always wanted to be a teacher. Me and my wife just were buying a new house and we're going to open a new academy and everything is, I hear it in your voice, is roses and peaches. We all know what's coming next, Mm -hmm. right? There's a part on your website that really caught me too. It says that you managed to push through government shutdowns, opening delays, and limited employment. Can you walk us through those experiences in that time for you? Oh, wow. So yeah, so we were supposed to open April 1st. Like, so April Fool's. Is a, <laughs> and so I just thought that was going to be kind of funny. This funny. is the Aiken life. Yeah, so, you know, I thought it would be funny. And it just kind of was how it was going to fall based on the way we had gotten our lease and the and the, and the building set up. So we had ordered mats. And thankfully, you know, I had gotten some great advice from people that had, had told me to start small. And then if I filled it up, I could always just move up once we were just doing well. And so I did, didn't do the big one like in my heart. I was like, I might as well just do it big because right. we're going to fill it up. I know. So we got like a 1500 square foot building next to a Papa John's on a, a good side of town here. You know, if you know anything about like marketing and the economy and stuff, if there's a drive through Starbucks, that means there's people that come through there a lot with like disposable income. So this is like diagonal kind of to a Starbucks with a drive through area. And I was like, all right, well, this is a good place to test mm-hmm. and see if we can get the traffic. It wasn't crazy expensive, like I said, thankfully, and we're ready to go get inspections and, you know, different things. And then, you know, I was kind of tracking this COVID thing or whatever it was, you know, it really wasn't bothering us over here like mm-hmm. that. And then all of a sudden, March mid-March or whatever, the kids got sent home and had to stay. And it was like, holy crap, I don't know how I'm going to do this in this scenario. My wife was getting sent home to work from home for her job, which was really hard to do at that point. But she worked for an insurance company in which people weren't driving anymore. So then there wasn't any car accidents and stuff like that after a certain point, but they were having to work through old stuff where people were having to try to do stuff from home and not be able to drive to offices or go to different court proceedings or anything like that. And so it was just really hard on her too. But right away, they were like, obviously you can't open, you can't do jujitsu right now. Like that would just be crazy. And I'll be honest, at the beginning, I I was a little bit nervous. Uh, I was pretty afraid of what COVID was or what coronavirus was because once it was- Everyone was. And so that's what we were doing. We just shut it down, you know, and stayed at home like everybody else did. And April turned to May. And as May started going on, I had already went and got some of my mats and brought them to my garage and got one of those grappling dummies and was just like pounding that thing as much as I possibly could, but Mm -hmm. not feeling it. I didn't have any students really. And so I had, I had already like detached from colds a little bit just for the sake of like not poaching and stuff like that. We agreed it'd probably be better to separate with plenty of time. And yeah, of course. And so I wasn't in the inner circle anymore to get 
over there to do the like probably closed door trainings that they may have had or may not have had. So I was just kind of floating out there by myself around mid-May or so. I just hit up the fire marshal and I was like, okay, so there they said there's this amount of stuff, like square feet per person in a building that you could have. What does that mean for us? We need to be able to do business, you know, and he told us you probably shouldn't be doing what you're doing, but you can have up to this number of people in here at one time legally based on what we have. And he gave us our license. And so then we were, quote, legal to operate. And we were never really told to shut down because we were never really open. You're like a blank slate. You're a brand new academy. Yeah. And so we had to convince people to come. That's insane. We had already done marketing and we had wow. already done some stuff where people were, were knowing about us. And, and uh, I'd already signed up several people prior that mm. had uh, done some stuff to that. And there's one guy who bought like a year membership prior to opening and I've never seen him. He never showed up. He never came. I've talked to him and he just ended up just like, yeah, life, you know, with this COVID thing is different and I just won't make it ever. I was like, all right, thanks. It's just things like that. And so we had a few people and um, we just kind of started doing it low key. A handful of people grew and we just kept growing and, and doing it, building wow. some kids programs. People over here were pretty cool. People were ready to do stuff. That's so good. it was not as bad because we were in a tiny spot and we wow. didn't have a lot of overhead. And so it didn't take many members for us to be doing positive numbers on the on the books. Right. So so that was great. And so we were able to do that within the first couple of months to start like breaking even month to month because it was yeah. just me. I was just basically doing everything. Mandy, my wife was still working her full-time job. We kind of knew that it would be a little bit slower anyway. Like this is kind of the numbers I expected in a way to start with. So it kind of worked anyway, but it forced me to play it differently. I think as far as what the room would normally be like the training room, because there weren't any competitions coming up. Maybe you didn't know if he'd ever do another competition or if they would even let us have another big competition. So we were focusing, you know, on just having fun a lot more in the room than we were always hammering on the most hardcore technical approach to everything, you know, sometimes, which is, it's, still okay to me. I don't I don't have the problem with that in a, in a lot of kind of classes. But that was one of the bigger things now, seeing how everybody's going back to work and everyone else is going back to their regular life. Seeing how that is, is, is like, oh, okay, well, that's why we have to do a little bit more serious stuff and treat everything a little bit differently because it's not just like a club in that way. You know, it's like it's a legitimate business that you got to try to run and growing that has been interesting because it's worked still to a degree. Like you said, we just moved into a new location in March, just shy of our two years. We decided we were going to move up to a new location. I didn't want to go this large of a space, but there were no spaces available that were the size we needed. And this one was cheaper than the other ones anyway. The guy had a good price point on it. So we jumped in there. It's got like 6,000 square feet, but we're doing great. I have a couple of guys that we've hired now that are working for us, that are doing a great job setting appointments and closing deals and helping me with teaching kids classes and some adult classes and stuff like that now. So I'm moving from just being the one man band into like, now I've got some people that I'm delegating some stuff to that I trust they're going to be able to take care of it. Improving your mobility and recovery will only benefit your BJJ. And as such, we highly recommend you try Yoga for BJJ at yogaforbjj.net. Use our code FWB, all uppercase FWB, to get 20% off your subscription, yogaforbjj.net. On your website also, there was something else that really uh, spoke to me where it says your game will provide hobbyists and physically limited classmates with a safe environment that is so often missing in some gyms and striking based martial arts. Can you give me some examples of that? And why did you highlight this? 
Well, one of the things obviously is because when I started out, I was in not such a great shape and I made it through like just sheer will. And I don't think that everybody should expect to do that the way I did it. You know, I don't think that that's normal. So just seeing that made me think about it. And then in San Diego, like I said, I saw a lot of stuff out there and people would come through with all kinds of different situations, you know, and handicaps or whatever you could think of. And they would train and we would, and you know, I'd see Boogie try to go over there and make sure they knew how to do something from wherever they could from this idea. Like one of our friends, Pete McGregor, you know, he couldn't use his legs, but he started to learn a bunch of different things about how to use his arms and his body to do jujitsu. So I've thought about that a ton and seeing that, and I want people it's the common joke thing about like, oh, you don't got to be in shape to do jujitsu, which is true. But it's also a lie if you're going to throw somebody into like a major competition room where there's no break. Everybody's not going to make that. And so there's there's got to be different classes for different people. I don't want everyone going crazy hard and spazzing out. I try to structure the classes in a way that really limits as much of the opportunity from that kind of stuff as we can. I really highlight it when I'm talking about stuff and the way that you're supposed to treat your teammates more than like if you were in a street altercation versus if you were in a competition versus, you know, here today, how if I'm rolling with you, I'm not going to ever hurt you. Mm. Not on purpose. If I even know that I could submit you and you're not going to tap, I'm not going to make you tap either. I'm going to just let it go. And I may not even tell you every time that I had to let it go just because it's not that important. And so I just really like try to teach that to people from day one and make Mm. everyone play it more technically and not rely on attributes as much. And I know that that is harder for some people and it gets frustrating for people who are used to being able just to do stuff, but that's not what I'm trying to teach you. I'm trying to teach you how to do jujitsu. I'm trying to coach you into to what my understanding of jujitsu is. And it's not an attribute-based approach to martial arts. You know, it's, it's like a system and, and jujitsu has certain things for different people for sure. But what is your mindset? The rules dictate the fight. Because if we're doing MMA, I'm not going to do the same jujitsu that I would do if we're doing an EBI rules tournament because I'm going to just need to submit you and I can't hit you. But if I could hit you, I just got to get to the best position to hit you some and then just keep doing that. There's less that I have to do in that situation. But then also in MMA, there's referees, there's judges, there's doctors, there's all these rules and everything. So there's a lot of things I would do in an MMA fight that I would never do in the street. Most of the time in the street, I'm going to walk away if I can. I'm going to not fight if I can. There's no nothing to prove in the street. And I've proved most of what I wanted to prove in the cage too. So that's why I'm doing mostly jujitsu now. And I really don't have any thing to prove there anymore either. So that's why I'm this way. I think is like at the end of the day, we're all going to end up older. We're all going to end up slower, less athletic. And if you've built your game off of being majorly dynamic your whole career, and you didn't build any of those stop points where you learn control and flow and how to melt like into spaces and different things like that without having to just like snatch and grab and go really physically hard. That's what I'm trying to do is get more people to make it to the end before they get all broken up. Because how many people do we know that low back injuries or neck injuries or their shoulder or or whatever. And they just, they can't make it to black belt. Like Mm -hmm. they just get injured so much and they fall out, you know, and people say what they say about those people. But again, everybody's not me. Everybody's not going to be Stephen Aiken, the wild MMA guy that's chasing down this crazy dream. You know, they have a regular job, they have a family, so they need their body to work all day, every day. They can't do like me and come home and lay in the floor for an hour and like stretch and do mobility stuff and ice and everything like that. Being that this is my job, 
I can like plan and plug in massages and stuff like that yeah, into my recovery time. Yeah. I have to, mm-hmm. or I can't do my job because my body's so beat up and broken from all the years of just being MMA, bigger, faster, stronger, have to like do everything harder, smash it up. I'm hoping to build more of a wellness focused jujitsu than like a smash them up kind of jujitsu. And I know that that sounds kind of funny and we are a 10th planet team and we do, listen, we're going to compete and our competitors are going to be different than our regular people. That's what everybody's got to understand. Regular person is not going to do the same thing every day that the competition people are. They can exist in the same rooms and train together, but they're not going to carry the same workload all the time. And there's not going to be as much pressure on the 40 hour a week job person as there would be on the young guy who's trying to come up and get to that next level of hoping to get to an EBI or something like that one day, 80 cc's or whatever, they're going to have a harder road for sure. They can't just get away clean. And so we plug in classes where it's like competitive only, but there's no coaching. There's nobody coaching each other. This is just get as many kills as you can or control them to death, whatever the game is that I've, I've got plugged in for the day. And like those days are for the regular people can come, but you can't complain about how bad it got, how rough it got or whatever, because it's set out. We don't allow new people to come in on those nights to train or anything like that. They come for fundamentals earlier in the night or on another night where we have like an all levels class, for example, like those classes are are tuned a lot more slow where you don't have to worry so much about that blue belt who's trying to get ready for this Naga coming up. And only way he's going to get hard training is just to come to class. And so he's just going to beat up everybody in front of him because he's got a tournament coming up. You know, it's like, Hey, these days are our technical days. These days are our really hard days. And so that's how I'm plugging it in for the program. You don't need six hard days of jujitsu a week where you're rolling all hard and like doing all that crazy stuff. It's these two nights. And if you can make those, then that's all you're going to really, really need for most people. Like you're going to do a lot of technical work and you're probably going to do some strength and conditioning. You're going to be drilling a lot, hopefully, but you don't need to be just smashing each other up, rolling 50 rounds a night. You know, you can roll flow rounds. I'm saying that there's flow rounds and stuff, but that's happening more in those everyday classes. You can stack those every day, but you don't need to do 10, 10 minute rounds, you know, every day or yeah. something like that. No, where no, no, no. this is one of the things about the MMA stuff. We'd run like a mile and then I'd have to flip this big tire like a hundred times. And then we'd run inside and just put on our shin, shin pads and gloves and, and stuff and just start sparring for an hour. And it was like, I don't know, like I was learning how to be tough, I guess. And I was getting in shape, but I took a lot of beatings, man. And I hurt my knee and just kept going a lot of times, you know? And so that like, that's one of the things that led to the final like meniscus thing is like just- Yeah, that's going to put a lot of miles on you. Yeah. Thinking about all the things from my experience, like you said, I, I think about the ups and the downs I had and which ones were my fault. Self-inflicted wounds. Okay. I got to coach about that. I got to speak from experience and say, hey, I'm telling you not to do this because I did that. And that's why I know it doesn't work because it's going to mess you up. And I know it's hard to agree with me right now, but it's not the right way to go. Or I've been around other people that this has been very successful for them and I never got to try to do this. So I'd like to see someone like you, you're more like that part. You know, you can can get out here and get after a little bit more than I ever was. So I try to share more of those experiences with people as well, you know, to like to get after it when it's time to get after it. But also, Mm -hmm. you like, you know, to also rest, you got to rest. And like, there's nothing wrong with that. I think more people now have gotten into it since the pandemic. So it killed my vibe. Not really like, but just in a joking way, Uh, everybody's talking about recovery and like not overdoing it and not working too hard and not, you know, everything like that. But I've kind of been on that. That's been the thing that I was like saying for a long time to let people recover. You'll do a lot better. 
You I would know, argue some of the best teams in the world, that's kind of what their emphasis is now, being much more strategic from a 360-degree standpoint. I mean, look at look at AOJ. They emphasize, I was talking to Danny Stolfi, who was a black belt at AOJ, and he was telling me that you know mobility is such an important factor in their training. And training smart, like you said, the, the drilling, the slow days, the hard days, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to program everything in if you're going to be an athlete. And that's the difference. People who are just training for fun and want to have a hobby just to kind of train for fun or whatever. Yeah, they don't need all that pressure anyway, right? So that don't worry about it. But if you're trying to be the best, then you got to do the best work all the time. And also that means you got to recover the best. You got to sleep the best. You got to eat the best. And some people aren't getting that from people. They're just getting them to, you got to work harder. And it's like, but that's not directive. That's not like really telling me how or what to do really. Just work harder at what? Because I used to go kick a bag like four or 500 times in a day, but I don't know that it really ever did anything for me because I wasn't thinking about my technique correctly because nobody was standing there and making me do it perfect every time or better every single rep. They were just like, yeah, just go go beat it up. And so as a coach now, I struggle with those two extremes almost where you're like, mm-hmm. I want to let you explore because I, I figured out a lot through exploring. But then also you need to do it this way. You have to do it this way because if you don't do it right every time, you're setting a bad groove and maybe not technically even, but for your body, like you start setting a bad groove for like your muscles and your hips or whatever it is. And you don't get out of that pattern. You stay that way forever. You know, and that was one of the things my therapist was teaching me when I was first started getting my body work. You want this fix to be fast. Like you want to come to get this massage and do this work and to feel better permanently now, but you've been doing this for 10 years to yourself. It's not, you're going to have to do probably 10 years worth of work to start to unwind all the things you've done. So I'm trying to help my people not have to do all of the unwinding part. You're going to have to do some. That's what I'm saying. You got to go too far to understand your limits. But I want to help you like understand where that is a little bit sooner before you hurt yourself, maybe. Sure. That's the evolution of the game, for sure. I think that's why we're seeing such an increase in talent. Now, I want to talk about the early days of Perry. And did you have noobs come in initially or did you have experienced people come in or was there a combination? Are you now at the point where you got some ride or dies? I mean, what, we're two years into it. Well, we had a mix of people for sure. Some of the people that came over were, and we still have a few people that are doing this. We're going to Coles also. We have people that share, they go to both of our schools. So they have experience through there. Mm. And then uh, uh, Gustavo Machado Black Belt, who's also, he goes between myself and Coles and other places. He was coming a lot, you know? So we had, we had a mix of like a couple of people like that. And then a bunch of like brand new kind of people for the most part. You know, that's the sad part about it. Thinking about what you said about the rider dies. I think so. There's a couple of guys that I believe so, but man, that kind of stuff sets you up to get your heart broken so many times, like even not even being the school owner, but I've been the guy that's had to leave a couple of times too. And it broke my heart to leave, you know, some, I know people have left already for good reasons and stuff like that too. And we've had a sure. few people that it just didn't kind of work out in the school and that always sucks. But yeah, I think we have some people that are, are definitely like ride or die for me as much as not the school or whatever, like, cause I've connected with them on a really personal level. I try to do what I say you know, as much as I can. And and even when that doesn't make me look good, you know, when I realize that I've got to own up to something or when I've got to take fault or when I've got to accept, you know, whatever that is, I got to go up there and stand up there and say that, you know, in front mm-hmm. of people who matter. And that's part of being a leader, you know, and even mm-hmm. though it's not comfortable, I've done stuff like that a few times with people. Now you can trust me. I think if you see that I'm willing to do it both mm-hmm. ways, if you can see that I own it, if I'm wrong, or if I'm telling you something, you got to trust me. So right. those kind of things is like, you can really build a relationship with some people like that. 
And I'd be remiss if I don't ask you about big guy jujitsu. Steven's not a little guy like me. Big guys tend to always have that Kimura. Oh, yeah. And, and you mentioned the Kimura earlier too. So should they try to work on being well-rounded? 100% you should try to be well-rounded. I think you should definitely work on your strengths, obviously, and make what you're strong at stronger. But I think even just for understanding, you should try everything. There's a lot of things that I don't do that I understand and, and can counter and can beat because I've worked through the process in class of trying to understand it. And I played the game to understand it, even though I was getting beat when I was doing it. I did it anyway, so I could have those reps on whatever it was and see how I lost it and how I failed versus how it works for this person or that person. And so, you know, again, like these are some things to look out for. These are some things that may work, you know, so for my students and stuff, I'm still like doing that exploration kind of stuff with that. And I think for big guys, what people see with me is that is like at a certain point, I heard somebody say something about big guys and little guys Mm jujitsu and and I took it personal, you know, and I was just like, you know, I could do anything they could do. Mm -hmm. It may not look the same, you know, because I'm not as small. I may not be able to fit into as small of a space as they are, but like there's no no reason my body can't do what their body can do unless I don't try to do it, you know, like, and really work on what it is. And so like, for example, rubber guard, and that was one of the things with Richie that we had to get some serious time in with. It took me several months to be able just to kind of get it, even though I had so much experience. But then turns out that's the problem. A lot of times is people who get set in a groove. By the time you're set in a certain path to learn a new thing, all the way that deconstructs what you believed is hard. It's hard to read, like reconstruct everything. So I think a lot of people, and not say big guys even, but just people in general, that that kind of thing is hard to deal with. And so if you've been big and strong your whole life, or you used to being able to just like use strength, you know, muscle things around when you stop doing it little people start beating you Hmm. and when they start beating you you tend to want to go back to what stopped them from beating you and that's being bigger and stronger and then that's what say that's not using your jiu-jitsu anymore but it's okay to do that if you have to use it in a street fight or you know something like that like yeah being bigger and stronger in a fight or whatever yeah and in competition yeah it's always good but to be the best at jiu-jitsu you need to roll like a small person would like somebody who's weak would know how that feels to not have frames like I spent some time one year, but I was just like, all right, frames don't exist. I want to see what you just, and so just like weird stuff like that. I'm going to only use this arm or I'm only going to attack their arm on one side for the whole, you know, and see what happens when I just, so like really explore different things. And that, and same thing I was saying is like, you know, you got some attributes. So, well, let's take those away and let's see what you could do with the other parts of yourself. Like if you got really good hips, then let's see what you can do. Like, for example, my friend Pete would do no legs rounds. You know, I would just lay there and try to mimic not being able to use my hips and he would just kick my butt. And then I'd realize, oh man, I just tensed up my hips or whatever to get away from that. And it's so hard to not connect to that part of yourself. You know what I mean? And because it's like, well, I just, I got to defend myself. So I'm kicking in to what, and it's like, oh wait, that was my hips using okay, I'm going to lay back flat. And then it's over. He's got me as soon as I try to relax in that position. So then now I understand more about controlling people on the back with just my arms. I don't need my hooks in because I can ride the position similar to how Pete does, but then I throw the hips in when the timing or whatever works better for me. So, so like a lot of things like that, I think that's, that's what you got to do to be great and to have mastery is to, to really just explore the whole thing. And, and you got to mess it up, man. Not everything you do is going to be great. And you don't have to be the best at everything. I don't. Th- I think that's one of the common problems with lower belts too. Oh, to get my black belt, I got to be good at everything. And that's not true because nobody is, you know. I want to know everything, but I know that I don't do everything, you know. So like I say, I study geo. 
and train with him and and try to do the things he does, but it don't work the same way. You know, like another 250 pound dude standing over me or whatever. And I'm trying to do like spiral ride or whatever, it, you know, spiral guard. It's not, it's not going to work the same way if that dude just crushes down on top of me, but it does work. You know, it will work if I can do it the way he does it. Cause I've done it a few times, but the odds are for me, it gets countered more. But I think that again, it's more because I didn't do it as long as he has because I can do it when I try and the other person is not as good as me or what, you know what I mean? So there's just, there's just levels to everything. So there's no way to know unless you try to do it. And for big people, you can do anything that everybody else does. If you'll sit down and just be comfortable losing and be comfortable not being as strong or that's your best thing, right? You're big and you're strong. That's what you got you by so far your whole life, right? That's how you've done most of the things you've done. That's your identity, right? And so you got to strip that away from yourself and see who you are for real, you know? And I think that's when you start getting into like jujitsu. I often hear from bigger people, uh, I'm not flexible. I can't do that because I'm not flexible. Flexible. Your thoughts on that? You got to work on it. If you don't use it, you lose it. I still spend a lot of time doing things. And that's what keeps me in the game. Even at this point is like the mobility work that I do every day to make sure my hips and my back and my neck and everything are working well. I think it's just, that's just got to be a huge, huge part of it is that you've got to spend time doing it or you're not going to get it. Like you're not flexible. Try to get more flexible. And that doesn't mean like static stretches all the time either. Like if you're using a dynamic movement, like if you're going to be in a dynamic position, you need to be flexibility, like mobility. Like you said, there's a difference. There's flexibility and mobility. So you need to, you need to be mobile and not flexible. A lot of the things that you think is a flexibility problem is an angle problem. If you change where your hips are, you'd be in a better position and the thing works. Like I've hit some weird triangles on people just because my body starts getting that 3D kind of spin around them. And then the leg, it just fits in certain ways, but squared up, it doesn't work, right? Oh, I can't do triangles because I'm a big guy. Well, it's because you're staying right in front of them and, and you're not getting off at your angle or you're not pulling them away from their base enough. So it's like, there's a simple reason for it a lot of times. And flexibility is an easy excuse to use for not wanting to work hard enough to get better at, at stuff like that, to be honest. Going back to the topic of leadership. Number one, how are you keeping your sword sharp in terms of your leveling up your leadership, leveling up being a business owner from how you started to where you are now and where you hope to go? I'm in a couple of like business mastermind groups uh, for the business stuff. And then I talk to a lot of coaches and people that are in leadership roles and different things like that and, and see what they're doing. And I read a lot about leadership and, and about psychology and people, you know, how to, how to talk to people and, and get on their level and different things like that. It's like a, a bunch of different things about like understanding a person. And I think that that's where you can get to like the best kind of leadership is when you're, you're really trying to understand your people more than you're just trying to like tell them how to do it, you know? And I think that that's what leadership is thought of for a lot of people is like, I'm going to be the boss. And it's like, yeah, but you're also going to be doing a lot of work. Leading is doing the work still, you know, it doesn't mean that you don't get, you don't get out of it then. Like you, you have to be in the middle of it to show and tell, you know, that's what leadership is. It's showing and telling. It's not just like telling someone what it is. So you got to study people that you think are a good leader, right? I've read about great coaches from many different sports, you know, basketball. Like I really like reading the one that cut him out first was Phil Jackson. Somebody that I thought was really, really interesting. And then, and then talking to people I respect that are in the field, literally calling them and just having conversations about situations and, and seeing how would you have played this situation, you know, or do you think I did the right thing right here when I, when I did this? Stuff like that. Cause you know, mm. I'm still human and still make mistakes, even though 
my intentions are probably pure and, and I didn't want anything to happen or whatever. I played it wrong, you know, made the wrong move. And sometimes you need to hear that from somebody that you think is respectable in that way. And you can't, you can't always get that from people who are like right beside you and stuff like that. So, so I think having like a mentor or two or three, that'll keep it real with you and tell you the, the honest facts about what's happening. Even if it'll make you, it makes you feel bad sometimes when people are just like their own point about what it is, you know, it's like, Hey, this one was on you and this is why. And it's like, Oh, Okay. Again, then that gives me the reason to understand I need to go and like, you know, take ownership of this situation and say that that was on me. Or sometimes it's like, it's confirming that, you know, made the right hard choice, made a decision that I felt bad about in some way because it affected somebody else negatively, but it was maybe a a positive thing for me and for the school and to hear someone that I respect tell me that it was the right choice probably also can boost your confidence in some of those ways too, because I have a bit of a, like a people pleaser tendency at times. So that's one of the things I have to look out for is to make sure that I'm not just being nice to you just to not hurt your feelings. You know, that, that's what I mean is learning how to be direct with someone was hard for me because usually that was always like being mad or they would get mad or something like that. So just kind of like, man, just kind of let it go or let somebody else handle it. But now it's all on me now. Like I'm, I'm the one, you know, and if, if we want to talk about leadership, you got to be about it, you know, so you got to go have those, those conversations, you know? And, and so that's been the biggest part of doing this thing now at the school. It's not the X's and O's. I know my jujitsu is good. I know everything I can teach you is going to help you be better. I know there's probably better coaches than me. I know there's people that have won more titles than me and stuff like that for sure. But I think you're going to get a level of care from me that you may not get everywhere else too. Not saying that you won't get it anywhere else, but I think that I have a level of care for people that they will appreciate. And I think if you come in, that's what most people kind of see and feel. At the same time, that can be enabling for some people that need to be or want to be kind of like protected and sheltered in some ways. You're just who's going to pull that back, man. It's going to show you that eventually that that's what we're doing. You know, at some point, you know, if you're going to get exposed, you can't hide. And so learning, you can't protect everybody, you know, for me, it's like, Hey, I didn't want you to have to like, kind of like I was saying, I want you to have to go through this one experience I did, you know, it's like, but they, they have to go through that experience. Just not the same way you did, but now you're here. You can be that ear for them. The voice that is there, like, you know, it's not like I hate being the, I told you so guy. And I don't want to ever say that to people because sometimes you, you end up being right, but it it doesn't make you feel better at the point because the thing already Mm -hmm. happened. I just want to be able to be there for people when that, when those situations happen to help them like understand whatever that is, you know, and sometimes it's, it's you, sometimes it's the other situations and that's what it is, you know? And I think a lot of people don't get that in their life, like somebody to actually sit and try to give the benefit of the doubt at first. But then also when you, when you see that there's a thing, you got to tell your friend or your person that you love, you got to not confront them. Right. Cause if you confront somebody that, that makes it feel like an attack or whatever, but you've got to teach them, you got to educate them or whatever that is about what the thing is. And man, that's hard because not everybody likes that. That's tough. Cause I know even a lot of times in the workplace, being direct or being honest can even, you know, work against you. Yeah. It could be a potential HR issue or something like that. And on top of that, it seems like everyone learns differently or interacts differently too. There's all kinds of scales for that. As you mentioned, some people like that direct sort of hard medicine and then other people want to dip their toes in slowly. Right. Yeah, And I think that's, that's hard to do, you know, as, as one person to be able to have the soft hand and that firm hand at the same mm-hmm. time, you know, because those people are in the same room. 
they might be partners today. Mm-hmm. And so like yeah. I have to come over here and I have to speak to you very directly and made your partner feel super uncomfortable today because coach was like aggressive to you, you know, to that person, you know, and it's like, wow. No, it wasn't. That's just how I talk to them, you know, and it's cool to them. That, but and so it's funny. I've had one of my one of my favorite students, one of my best guys, Zach, just kind of was joking on him, you know, just like picking, making fun, you know, about some stuff. And I didn't realize that it was really like bothering him or he was having a bad day, you know. And so he just kind of left after training and didn't say anything. I didn't think about it. But then the next day he came in and was like, dude, you really pissed me off yesterday. And I was like, what? How? You know, it's like I was just completely oblivious to whatever, anything, you know. And he's like, well, that stuff you were saying, I didn't like the way you're saying that stuff. And I was like, oh man, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to like be that way, but if that hurts your feelings, I'm definitely sorry about that. You know, I, I'll try to not do that stuff again like that with sure. you. I thought, I thought we were doing that. My bad. And, and so that's the thing is like, that was just the wrong day to do that kind of stuff. And so we've had that conversation. He understands if I do say something, I don't mean something negative. And then that if I do say something that he doesn't like, he can walk over there and say, I don't like the way you said that. And it's not going to be a fist fight or, you know, he's not going to get destroyed for having an opinion other than the one that I have. And so those are the kind of things. That's the one that a lot of people have commented about is that most people, and I'm guilty of it too, but it's like, you have to do it the way I say, do it, or it's not allowed. Like if you Mm. can't do that here, you know, you have to do it the way the professor says or whatever it is. I don't even let people call me professor, really. I don't really like the title. I just like Steven or coach or you can Mm -hmm. just call me Steven if you want to, you know, I keep it pretty informal, man. That's just how I am. You know, and I'll bow and show respect to anybody that that requires that or ask for sure. it or whatever in their school, sure. you know, because because that's the respectful You're thing in their house. Do. Sure. Right. We don't require that kind of stuff. And I think it takes away some of that pretense where someone feels superior because their belt's a different color or, or whatever that is. There's a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of people who get their black belt and they're like, all right. Now I've made it and everybody's got to worship me. And if you don't bow to me because I'm a black belt, you're being disrespectful. But that guy's not doing anything for that person or helping them. He just beats them up or whatever, you know, and it's just like, you, you just use them as a punching bag. Why would they want to show extra respect just because you're a black belt? Like help the person get better. Don't use them as a punching bag and stuff like that. Right. So I emphasize to my students to, to talk to each other about what's happening. Like if somebody's beating you a lot, ask them, or if you're beating someone a lot, tell them what you're doing. That way they'll learn what to do and they can start countering you and you'll have to evolve your game to get better. Right. Sitting here and just like hitting the triangle on the same dude 60 times every day for our two years doesn't mean that you're good at triangles. And you're not helping him getting better by just slamming triangles on him every time y'all roll and like getting a highlight reel or feeling good. Whatever you're getting out of that is not good for him either. 100%, 100%. And so, you know, take a second and say, hey, man. I'm catching you by doing this. So if you Mm. stop letting me do that, then, you know, you may still triangle the guy for a while, but it's going to start making it to where he's getting levels better too. And Mm. so that's going to force you to start getting levels better. And you just got to articulate that out loud in class a lot of times because people just don't think that way a lot of times. It's like, I'm I'm practicing getting good, you know, by getting the move, you know, I'm doing the thing. And it's like, yes, but you're not helping the community grow. And that's Mm. how you're going to agree. You're only as good as the person around you. How about for those new black belts that are thinking about opening academy or had just opened an academy? What kind of uh, advice would you give them? You know, start small for sure. Don't overdo it as far as budget and space even because cleaning is a lot more than you think. Supplies are a lot more than you may think. It's not going to be if you build it, they will come. 
And if they come, they're not going to stay just because you're a black belt either, right? You got to have the right things, like the right training environment. A clean space is more important than having a bunch of other things, right? A small, really clean, nice spot is better than a really huge, dirty space, at least in my opinion. The way you treat things is going to be the quality of your instruction a lot of times, at least to the person who walks in off the street. And dude, this is the one that hurts the most, but like the rider dies come later, right? But when they come in off the street, they really don't care about you per se yet. Like you being a black belt really is just like a thing. They To a lot of people, they have a karate black belt or they know a kid that's a black belt. They still don't even know the difference a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And so people get upset about things, but this has been one of the cooler parts about being with being able to be friends with Cole and me and close by is like, you just kind of realize that everybody's not going to be for you. And they're going to end up going somewhere else. And that's okay. Send them where they're going to be more comfortable. Let them go train in an environment that'll fit their needs better, maybe. Or where there's more people that would vibe with them. Or maybe, you know what I mean? If you like the gi, I tell people to go there. Like if you've had experience and you come to town, you hit us up. And it's like, yeah, man. And they're like, well, I'd really like to train in the gi, you know, and stay in the gi. It's like, well, you've got to go to another school, you know. And the next one would probably be Cole Miller's. I would go check them out before you commit, you know, commit to staying here because you're eventually going to probably leave to go try the gi thing out again anyway if you really, really want to do that. So just go there. Or if you want MMA, go there because I don't do MMA. We don't have an MMA program. We're only no gi jiu-jitsu at this point. We're just starting some kickboxing stuff. So I think that was a good thing for me too, is to set my intention early to be who we are. Like, who are you? What do you want to be? Do you want to be jujitsu? Do you want to be MMA? Are you kickboxing, boxing? You know, like you got to know. And if, if you're one person, less is more. The specialty is better than the jack of all trades um, because you're going to get burned out trying to teach all the kickboxing, boxing and wrestling and jujitsu and being the janitor and the supply manager and <laughs> psychologist for everybody. That's the thing. Make it scalable. Start small and work your way through all the things slowly instead of just throwing yourself into a damn fire and, and having to live there. Oftentimes I tell academy owners, I don't mean to demean it, but you are a product. Know what product you are. Some people like mm-hmm. apple juice, some people like lemonade, Pepsi, Coke, whatever you are. That's true. It's, yeah. And I, and so that, that's the thing is like, some people, and they're going to choose based off convenience a lot of times too. If you're on their drive home, that's why they're going to choose you versus another school more than you're better or worse than the other guy. Cause they don't know the difference. They really don't until they get to a certain level. And then if they want to go, then they're going to go either way. Right. And so in my opinion, that's my job is to get them prepared to go on to whatever the next thing is. And like I said, it may hurt my feelings a little bit and I'll be sad, but I've had to move on before too, to, to broaden my horizons. And that's again, as a leader and as a teacher, that's what we, we want is we want our, our students or our, our people to, to, to advance and to even advance beyond the level that I was ever at. Like, I'd love to see one of my people make it further than I did competitively or have a better bit, you know, eventually better business model than I do or whatever. That's the goal. You know, I think that's what we should be doing and not just looking at everything for myself. So let's talk about seminars. I know that uh, you've done quite a few seminars and you've hosted seminars. How do you plan and execute your seminars, you know, and, and what makes a great seminar? I'll speak to the coach or the the person who's asking me to come and see if there's a specific topic that they would like. And most of the time they'll just say, ah, oh, whatever you're kind of wanting to do, you know, mm-hmm. 
And so I'll throw out a couple ideas of things that are like, mm, these are always, I got that, you know, it's like as a stand-up comedian or something like this is my bit sure. that always gets a laugh or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Like, I know this one's good. And then I've got some stuff where it's like, this is what I'm working on right now in my own game. It's maybe a, not a finished product, but mm-hmm. I, I'll show you guys some of like where my mind is going and where, where I'm at, you know, and where our school is versus where you guys are at, you know? And those are a little bit abstract, I guess, because there's not as much completion on it. You know, it's more like a game, like a full game thing. I think either one is great. I've had a great time being at a seminar where someone is giving like super, super technical paths, you know, that you just take this path and you, and you just, like I said, you, you hit that groove with this path through that seminar and you get this one thing. That's it. You know, there's been seminars I've went to and done certain things and it's like, okay. That's been a part of my game since that day because the drills and the different things like I learned that day just stuck with me. And then there's a seminar that I've been to, like where it's, uh, like Jean Jacques Machado seminars that I've been to. Both of those were just like insane, just all over the place, though. I felt like if you weren't high level, you may not have gotten as much out of it. But then even I didn't get as much out of it because once he would say something, I would just be sitting over there, like trying to figure out what, you know, what was that, you know? And to him, it was just like a simple thing and he's already moved on and he's already taught two more things. And I'm like, wait, I need to get the, uh, like, I can't, that's not true. What you, that's no, you know, it's not right. You know? (laughs) So like, but he just does that. Like he'll hit 30 things like that in a seminar to where you're just like, it's not that easy, man. No, no, it can't, you can't, you just can't do it like that, you know, but it, and, and it, it comes out that way though, you know? And so those are the ones that I have to bring back on my own. Those are the ones where I'll bring that and I have to workshop it myself and then like put it together and and keep figuring it out. So I think you can have either one, the one where somebody's giving you like a super hardcore technical path where like, this is what I do from the past all the way to submissions or whatever, or where they're like, this is jujitsu. I'm going to show you how to fix everything with a couple like really key things. You know, if you do this right, everything is going to get better. And so that's the one that I want to get good at. That's where I'm trying to get to, like, is where I can go in and just be like, this is how you do jiu-jitsu, you know, and, and it could be any lesson, you know, that, and that's what I've saw with Jean-Jacques. There were two different things, two different seminars, but it was the same way he taught. He could be from any position. It didn't matter the position. It was the, the fundamentals or the concept that was like the movement is like, this is what it was. It wasn't really about, you know, it's like, he's like, oh, it's not about my preference. You know, it's like, it's your preference right here. You could do yeah. this or do you like that? Okay. That seems fine. Okay. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? It's like, but you, you tell me what you want me to do. He's like, I mean, I'll probably just do what you did then. And it's like, no, that's not what you're supposed to tell me now. But I've seen him break up the seminar and call everybody back and have people come out to the center and be like, hey, everybody, look at what he's doing right here. See, I told you to do this thing, but look what he's doing. Some of you guys may like this better than what I said. You know, I see a lot of people doing this already, like in in the competition or whatever. So like, this is the same thing as that. And I was like, oh, that's, that's how you do it. You know what Mm. I mean? It's just literally just a little bit different interpretation of how you want to do it. You could do either one, but I saw this, you saw that. I think that's the way to get to like, for me, that's what I'm looking to do. And that's my favorite ones now, because I think I've had a lot of paths. Having sort of walked virtually through your shoes now of your path to where you are now, <laughs> I, I could see a million reasons why you would, but can you tell me a time that you wanted to quit and why? If I was going to quit, 
it was right about that time I was talking about where the MMA career was ending and I wasn't working anywhere. I was a stay at home dad. And it was like, mm. well, the only reason I'm kind of doing that was to kind of feed the the fight mm. career so I could train and, and, and do stuff like that. And I've spent the money that we had, you know, to do stuff with. And so now I got to go make some money. So that means I'm going to have to go to work. And if I have to go to work, that means I'm not going to be able to train the way I want to. And if I can't train the way I want to, I'm not going to be as good as I am. And then I'm not going to want to go because I'm not going to be good anymore. And so like, there was a time for sure like that. And then that's when Richie, like I said, we really like had some talks and they, that's when I got my job at 10 Planet San Diego. I didn't really mention that earlier, I guess, but like through all that process between retiring from MMA and looking for whatever they got me on staff. And so I was teaching some kickboxing and MMA and jujitsu classes and stuff like that, working at the desk, doing membership sales. And that's where I learned a lot of the stuff that I know now about Man, you know, how to do the sales, the, the business stuff too, was being behind scenes. And I guess that was part of the thing too, with the, when I got the black belt, the emotions of everything, man, it was like, I didn't know I was going to make it, dude. Even at that point, I didn't know that I was going to ever make it. Like I, cause I was still dealing with a lot of the same stuff. Like I, I was working at the school and teaching and training and cornering people. And like, that was all great, but it wasn't as much money as a job would have been if I was working like a quote, real man. <laughs> you know, would yeah, have yeah. been. So that was always like in my mind. And that's why I opened the school though. It's like, cause I'm never going to work this hard for anything else. I'll never work this hard. I don't want to do anything else like this with that much intensity of focus and, and like mental energy. Yeah. I can't see doing anything else at this point with what I'm doing. So yeah, going through all those times convinced me that, that, yeah, that was the only time I would ever consider that is if I, if I absolutely had to. So yeah, just then. So talking in terms of your own game now, where do you feel that you could improve upon a certain area of your own game and, and where do you want it to go? Uh, personally, right now, one of the things that I'm I'm trying to add is more of the the in inversions to get more polished. Like I said, it's not really the game that I would play competitively a lot, but I have a lot of students that need more information on that. So I'm, I'm doing a bunch of that now. So just to get more and more information on, on where it's at and, and how to use it and, and different things like that. Like I said, just because I don't like it doesn't mean that I shouldn't understand it for the sake of teaching. But personally, I'm just still trying to like pattern out the easiest, most consistent like routes for people, similar to what Eddie's done with the warmups, what he sees as the most important chunks of jujitsu. That's how he's programming in the warmups. And one of the things he challenged us with last year at the team party was like, if you can come up with your own stuff, do it. Come up with your own set of like whatever these are and make sure you have everything in it. Like, and that's what the warmups are for him. You touch everything that's important to him in jujitsu or the most important parts and you get repetitions on all those things. And so I'm trying to work out that in my mind now and, and seeing like, okay, this is what I do competitor, Steven, but is that the best route for everybody mm. all the time? Cause it's like, well, I like it like this, but everybody's not me. Like you said, they're not built like me. There's some smaller people that may not play the same way that I do, you know? So their idea of what to do from a Kimura or whatever would be like much different than mine. For example, Gabe Tuttle, he's someone that I spent a lot of time with too out there. He was a purple belt when I got there under Richie and he was already teaching classes. And so I spent a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with him learning the system and asking him questions, annoying the shit out of him because I couldn't do it to Boogie. He answered a bunch of questions for me that were kind of like you, you had mentioned 
maybe before the show is like, Hey, I'm going to push back just to understand more. Like I'm just doing it to understand. So we worked that out a lot, but he has phenomenal Kimura stuff and it was way different than the way that I had always played it. But then once I started doing the way he was doing it, I was just like, Oh, okay. So I can do it well mm. because of my Kimura game that I already had, but not saying that he can't finish the way that I always do, but he doesn't because of his body type. He just moves to another position. Whereas for me, I'm probably going to keep top side, you know, and just pin you right there on top side control and just finish mm. the Kimura from there more often than sure. not. That kind of stuff has just been, been really, really interesting. And I think being able to do that is really fun. So I was talking to Phil Schwartz before he's a black belt, 10th planet of Portland. He, oh, it feels awesome. We were talking about the warmups and he was telling me that some schools do the warm up, Some schools choose not to. Some schools do a modified version of it. What do you guys do in that, Perry? So we don't do the warmups in the way that maybe people think about doing the warmups or whatever. They learn mm -hmm. the system and they learn the flows at, at different chunks. Uh, but I don't do it the way maybe everybody else does it. That wasn't really how I learned the system or jujitsu even in the beginning. But I do see that, like I said, I see the benefit of it all. But mm -hmm. those weren't the main groupings of moves for me. But there's a group of people in the system now over the years that that's how they learned. That's how they learned the system and how to do jujitsu was through the warmups. So for mm. them, it just makes the most sense to do it that way. In San Diego, we didn't really do it either as far as Boogie wouldn't yell out, this is A1, but the move sets of the day would be a lot of times one of the warmups. If you would be paying attention, you could you would see that this was C3 or whatever that you went through today, but he wouldn't sure. say this is that. And so that's kind of what I did. I just kind of adopted it to where I, uh, we do it, but I'm also adding in, like I said, the things that I think are also important equally mm -hmm. that maybe aren't touched on as much right. in some of the warm up stuff. So a little of your own flavor. Like right. And, and that's the point, right? That's, that's what we're doing is, is mm -hmm. that we're trying to figure out what's best for us. And, and the system is there. It exists. So if anybody plugs into that stuff, it's fine. Like that's what says, mm -hmm. like, I'm okay with you doing any of that. But I want to also tell you this possibility is something that I like to do a lot because I wouldn't normally go down this path that way. I would stop here and go this way. So it doesn't take away from anything. In my opinion, when you do that, it's just, it's just more. Everything is just more. And I, I want to figure out how to get all of it at one time for people, but I don't think you can. You know, that's what I'm saying. Even with what Eddie's done with the warmups, it's so much. And it's not even comprehensive. You know, that's what I'm saying. Like he, he'll tell you that. But it's what he thinks are the most important things that you're going to see more often. Mm -hmm. But there's still stuff that you won't know because you can't know it all. And that's what makes me want to keep coming back. Cause I, cause there's going to be every class I go to, there's something else like somebody, Oh man, he's going to have something I did. He's going to say the thing that's going to set something over the top for me today. Right. Dude, I still, I'm still that way. I love listening to guys talk. Like I like going to classes and training and doing stuff like that, but like a good, like, a really good black belt that can, that can speak, articulate what he's trying to say. Or man, I get so much out of that. Now I just like sitting on the edge of my seat or whatever still, and not saying that that's not normal, I guess, but I think for a, a lot of the guys that are still like doing really well as coaches and that's what they're doing though. They're still out yeah. there learning. Like you're a real professional at anything, engineers and doctors and, and attorneys or, or whatever. You got to keep up to date with whatever stuff's going on in your industry and stay up on it. Are you going to get left behind and be obsolete? There's a segment of jujitsu people that did that for a while. And I think that is coming back around now. More people are opening their minds. We're doing that here for sure in Georgia with our school. There weren't any 10th planet schools here, except for the one in Atlanta with Sean Applegate. And Atlanta's like, it's its own thing. 
for the rest of the state, it's like another state. So yeah. like for all those little small towns or whatever, you know, they're getting exposure to this kind of stuff now in a way that we never did before. All the people who came through with 10th Planet stuff were people who had read Eddie's book or, and so they were doing a poor job of representing what it was. But I went out now and spent time with the best, you know, and learned it to bring it back and to share it with everybody from my experience. It's straight from Richie and Gio and Eddie and, and then that's straight from Jean-Jacques who's passed it down, which is amazing to have like a lineage like that. It's really so close. I could reach out to Jean-Jacques and speak to him. And that's crazy, man. Like, yeah, you know, crazy. and like Eddie too, like I could text him and like talk about stuff. That's, <laughs> yeah, like, that's not too many to me, people bro. could say that. It's just, I don't understand how I got here. You know, it's just, I'm just happy, you know, and I feel blessed. And, and like you said, you know, my wife, I've had a bunch of bad times or hard things that have happened and it's not been easy by any stretch, you know, and it's still not, it never will be. Yeah. If you're trying to do anything, it's not going to be really easy. If you're like chasing down greatness in that way, or trying to like master it in some way that there's going to be speed bumps and stuff. But I've had a lot of really, really good people in my life that have helped me along the way at different times, yeah. different people who, who may not get credit as much now, but without them at another point, I would have never made it to here. So I, I try to always remember that too, you know, and be grateful for all the times that I've had the good and the bad parts, because without the bad parts of it, without the things that the Times I got screwed over or I thought somebody did me dirty or all that kind of stuff. I wouldn't be who I am. I wouldn't understand things the way I do. And then I wouldn't be the, the man and the coach that I am. So I wouldn't change it, any of it, because it, it's working. It's really starting to come together. And I think that that's just the way it is. Like anything, it just takes time. And I finally like spent enough time that I think I'm getting it, you know? <laughs> yeah. So one of the things you mentioned was Gabe's Kimura and how that kind of changed up your game. Sometimes there there's a pivotal moment through your your journey in jujitsu where the, there's a highlight or something like that that just changes everything in a particular moment. What was that biggest one for you? I, I bet there were a bunch of these, but yeah. And so this is this is one of the things I guess you mentioned. Brandon is how you figured out or heard about me first or whatever. He was obviously in Alabama. I didn't know of him or anything about him until I was already pretty deep with Boogie and those guys. And then I started looking for other people in the system. Like at first I didn't need to go anywhere else to get information because there was so much, like I didn't care. And not that I was even seeking out Brandon, but I went and did the Honored Invitational and he was the commentator for that. And so that's the first time we met. And so I saw him like teaching some stuff to people a little bit before. And, and then I was like, oh, okay, this guy's kind of smart. And then uh, he did a commentary for the the tournament that Richie used to run, the Ultimate Matt Warriors. Mm -hmm. uh, and I competed in that one. And I think, honestly, like this is the one thing that I think about more than anything else is like as something that, that really changed perspective for me a little bit. And it was completely by accident in his world, you know, his mind. I was competing and, you know, at this point I was still a brown belt. Jesse Ray Childry was in the division. He's the guy who had beat me in the previous ADCC trials. I wanted to get that one back. Like this, there's the title for winning. This was our tournament that Boogie was putting on. I was our heavyweight. He gave me the right to be the heavyweight representative of our squad. That meant a lot. You know, I was like, okay, so I got to go out here and represent. I trained for that. Like it was a fight camp. I did like six to eight weeks. Like, you know, that's the first time I'd ever took jujitsu that serious. Huh. Well, during one of my matches, I was on top and side control and just like squeezing the guy with like shoulder pressure. But I was also just like squeezing with my arms, kind of burning my arms out. And Brendan was commentating on it and was, he just kind of said something to the likes of he's in white belt side control. Mm. And I didn't really know what that meant exactly. 
but he was explaining that I was using too much of my arms and, and squeezing too much and, and, and different things like that. And so after that match, I won, but my arms were like, like doing like this in the back and somebody had to like step on them and like, like help my forearms relax or whatever. And then I had another match and ended up losing that one, not because of fatigue or whatever necessarily, but you know, ended up not winning. I was just like upset, lost my second match to him, Jesse Ray. He, he's the one who beat me again. You know, just like upset, but trying to keep the happy face. But I sure. went home and rewatched the event and I heard Brandon say that. Mm-hmm. And it, it it just really bothered me because mm-hmm. he's like, what, is it, what does he mean? White belt side control. Is mm-hmm. he saying that I'm doing what, side control like a white belt? Mm-hmm. Is he, what you know, but well, he yeah, was already, sure. he was booked for a seminar the next day at San Diego after the tournament. And so I had gotten my ankle pop. I didn't tap fast enough because I thought whatever. Trying to be a tough guy, <laughs> should have tapped, and so my ankle was bombed, uh, and so I didn't get to do the seminar. So I got to sit there and watch a lot, though, and like observe. And then I started seeing how he was teaching stuff, and he wasn't really using a bunch of the squeeze and stuff like that. And so then I went up and asked him about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like, "What did you mean? It hurt my feelings, you know?" It's yeah. like, it may, it, and, and he was like, "I didn't mean anything like that about it." He's like, that's literally just what we call that position where you have your knees up beside them, one knee by the hip, one knee by the ear. You have the shoulder Mm. pressure and an underhook. I just call that white belt side control. I didn't mean anything. That's just the name of the position to me. And I was like, what? You know, and it just, I was like, I'd already had this whole thing in my mind about how, uh, you know, it was just terrible at everything. And it was like, no, 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 that's just what I call that position. But yeah, I do think you were like squeezing too hard and stuff like that or whatever. And so we just had that conversation and I, and so then that's when I started like, relaxing more and flowing more mm-hmm. on my top game and not having to like smash so much, like understanding that smashing is not always about being like clamped down on stuff. Thinking about the way that I, I do my jujitsu now more as like waves instead of just like an anvil you know, like that's what I always understood. Pressure was just like dropping a heavy weight on something and keeping it there. Right. But now I think of it more like waves. Like I'm going to keep putting the pressure on you. And as soon as it comes in, that's good. If you get back up for some air, another one's going to come in and crash on mm-hmm. you again until I can keep you under the whole yeah. time rather than having to be in one position because that was starting to run at the highest levels. That wasn't working anymore. Uh, I heard you out. describe it once as like uh, melting on them like butter. Oh yeah. That. Uh-huh. that sounds like a nightmare. That's the same idea in, in my mind is like, you know, it's just, it's inevitable. And then that's what I was saying. It's like, that's what I was starting to get from Brandon's mentality. And it fit more into the game that I liked to play. Whereas Richie's super dynamic and that style didn't always lend itself to me. That's but so then I noticed they were doing the exact same moves. But the philosophy on what they were doing was different to get to each one. And so I started putting those two things together. So that, so that one night was like, a, probably I would say is the most pivotal thing is like hearing that comment wrong and then having the conversations around it led me to kind of blending the 10th planet style from Richie with the 10th planet style from Brandon and Gabe or whatever. But like Gabe is more of a boogie light, <laughs> you know, at that yeah, point. Yeah. <laughs> so it was just, yeah, that was probably the most pivotal thing. Should the student have the same game as their teacher? No, no, I don't think so. I think you should have parts of it. If you train with me, there's a few things that my guys are going to know. Like if you come in the room and you say that you're one of my guys, if you're not doing a couple of things, they're going to know that you're not really one of my people. You may train with us, but you're not buying into the philosophy of it overall, like some fundamental things or whatever. But 
as far as what moves you choose to go down or like, if you like to play guard or top, or if you want to be a passer or whatever, leg locker, whatever your game is like that, ah, that's not really for me to decide. That's what's going to make you great is whatever choice that you can make down that path. And so I'm going to do my best to guide you and to point you in the right directions around that stuff for best practices. But no, I don't, I don't want a bunch of Steven clones running around out there. That would be very boring if everybody was trying to play the same exact style that I played every day. It would be, it would be too repetitive every day. I want to talk about some of your, your media that you got. I know you got a YouTube channel. Oh, man. You have or had a podcast. I'm kind of confused about this yeah. stuff. So you can like give me some info on that. And I think now you got a, a monthly subscription or something, which I, I believe shows some of your classes for $5 so, a month or something like that. Okay. As you know, like whenever we spoke a little bit, like I'm getting into all of the, the media game a little bit heavier in the last couple of years. In San Diego, I was really like self-conscious. And even though people were like, telling me to go ahead and start doing stuff. I was, I was just nervous and didn't want to like say anything wrong or misrepresent, you know, the team yeah, or whatever. Of course, Cause I, of course, you know, yeah. I did get chastised one time as a Brown belt for posting the wrong, wrong name of something, you know? Uh, uh, and so Boogie was like, you got to take that down. And I was like, Oh my God. So I was just like, I'm not posting anything ever again. You know? <laughs> uh, so I was like self-conscious about that kind of stuff. Uh, but in the last couple of years, I've been working with uh, my friend, Isaac Stackhouse, uh, who, who goes like the wandering grappler. And he's been recording a bunch of my classes. And I tried to build my own subscription thing where we were going to do it, but it was just so much extra work and knowledge yes. that I didn't have. And the back end of it seemed like it was going to be a lot easier. And I just wasn't able to really like pull it off the way that made me feel happy and comfortable. So we, so we had to scrap that idea. And then I do have my YouTube channel and I am doing my podcast or my show. It's a, it's now turned into like a live show that is a podcast. But in the way of trying to just like grow more, decided to kind of partner with Brandon at the BJJ 365 stuff. And so all of my classes are going up on his site. There's a section that is it's called the El Jefe stash. So it's yeah. like, that, that's mine. It's got all the, all the classes and stuff that are in there because the platform's already built. He's already got it all ready and set up. So we came up with a good deal that made us both happy as far as like dollars and stuff. And then the show, my live show, I started putting it on his YouTube channel kind of for the same reason, because there's more viewership there. And so then, you know, that viewership goes up for us. And then for him, it gives content to the channel. And, and then, you know, being in his PGF as a competitor, and then the last season I was an announcer. So it's just kind of like in that same ecosystem already. And the, the show's called The Dream Show still, It's correct? called The Dream Show, yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. We we do it usually on Wednesdays at 10-ish, but we're going to probably move it to like Tuesday or Thursday, I think. My classes are on Brandon's Kajabi. It's BJJ 365 now. Uh, the subscription there, you get would include all the stuff that Brandon's already done on his plus the stuff that's adding on to mine. So that's if you great. subscribe through our link or whatever, we, you know, we get we get a, a affiliate deal with that. And I'm also doing a closed guard instructional that should be coming out in probably like the next month or two. Just trying to piece together like old school, new school stuff. I got a camp that we do uh, in Costa Rica every year in October. We spend a week down there. This will be the third camp that we've done. So myself, Kendall Roosing, PJ Barch, and Phil Schwartz are going to be down there this year, October 10th through the 15th, and do some training and, and like, you know, hanging out and different stuff down in uh, Manuel Antonio, Costa Rica. That's called the Dream Nogi Camp. I'm not very original, man. So I just like, it's, <laughs> it's no, all man, the dream I like the branding, stuff. Brother. Well, that's what I was saying is like, it, but it's true though. Like, I can't, I really still like, I'm surprised every time something happens and it works. Like I really am. And I don't know if that's good or bad, but I still approach everything with that, that mindset of like, it could or couldn't work, you know, nothing's guaranteed. 
And so I'm happy, you know, every time something I'm genuinely happy and surprised when, when things work out, I've got all those things going on, man. It's cool. <laughs> so Steven, thank you so much for being on the show. Where can people get more information about you and what you're up to, man? The easiest place probably would be on like my Instagram and that would be at the dream 10 P just the, the word, the dream, the number 10 and then P uh, that's where I post most of the stuff. I post a lot of little clips of classes and little outtakes of, you know, how it's like to be in one of my training rooms or whatever, you know, it's not, it's like a produced instructional, but it's really like, you'll get to see some of the jokes and the the things that, that make me who I am, you know, on there. And then if you want to get in there on BJJ 365, there's a link in my, all over my bios and then, or, or on Brandon McCatherine stuff to get on there. You can subscribe to that. That has my classes, his classes, and a bunch of other stuff that are on there. And also I'm all over his YouTube channel with my show and, and doing different commentary gigs. So if anybody's out here is watching that, you're looking for like another commentary guy, bring me in, dude. I'm trying to get some reps. I like doing it. I think it's really fun. Uh, so that's something that I'm looking, I guess, in my game, you would say, to get better at is to get better at maybe doing some commentary stuff because I think it's a lot of fun. All right, everyone. Well, thanks again for listening and watching out there. I am your host, Adolfo Fronda. Please give us a nice review on the Spotify, on the Apple Music and the whole thing. And uh, Stephen, man, I can't thank you enough for making the time. It was a pleasure. No, man, so much fun. Thank you.